Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue. I'll be joined later in the show by Greg Lawless, uh, the Revolution TV color commentator, and then uh, a little bit later by Michael Jones, uh, the publisher uh, for Soccer New England. Uh, of course, a very busy week this week in soccer. Uh, the New England Revolution having two matches this week, one on Wednesday night, uh, that one being a 1-1 draw at home against the New York Red Bulls, uh, certainly a disappointing result there. Um, and then last night, facing Real Salt Lake, uh, a team with a losing record, uh, they fell 2-1 to one, uh, on the road against Salt Lake. A-, a little bit different there on the road, uh, difficult situation to play in. Uh, and then, of course, the U.S. national team playing today. Um, meaningless game after them winning 8 to nothing last weekend, but they came away with a 1 to nothing win uh, over uh, Barbados to finish off the series with a 9 to nothing aggregate goal advantage, uh, and, of course, advancing to the next round. Uh, first off, talking about the Revs game last night, um, Adam Crispin scored in the eighth minute, uh, and then on a, a kind of crazy defensive play there by Salt Lake. I don't know what they were thinking there. Uh, Romando went out to the top of the box. It uh, didn't seem to be communicating too well with Borchers there, I believe it was. Uh, and then a long, long clearance from uh, Matt Reese ended up bouncing you know, right in front of the box. Adam Crispin got there, headed in for his fourth goal of the season, which ties uh, Steve Ralston and Kelly Dubé for the team lead in that category. Um, so revs off to a great start. In fact, this this year they've been 8-0-0 uh, in games which they've scored first, so it certainly looked good for the revs. But just three minutes later, uh, Jay Heap's own goal, uh, not much he could do there. It was, uh, I believe, a Javier, Javier Morales free kick uh, into the box. Heaps was pushed a, a bit there, uh, went off his head into the back of the net. Nothing Reese could do there, certainly. Uh, but then in the 60th minute, um, substitute Kino Nunez for his first goal. The rookie scored in the 60th minute for Salt Lake to win that match. Um, so really a disappointing result for the Reds, especially considering they had a lead early on. Uh, but at the same time, um, important to note that Shari Joseph, again, was away with the Granada national team which did lose 3 to nothing in uh, Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying, so uh, he won't be missing any more games for the Revs, at least not uh, for World Cup qualifying, as Granada was eliminated uh, also on Saturday. Uh, but in addition to Shari Joseph, they were out Con- without Cano Smith, who not necessarily always starting, but uh, Mauricio Castro was out injured from an injury he picked up on Wednesday, so Cano Smith probably would have started this game, uh, making that loss more important. And of course, Gary Flood was still out injured, uh, so Pat Phelan came in and did a, a, a pretty good job filling in in the midfield, uh, but of course Flug would have been filling in had Joseph been there so a couple of these places they were down to the, you know, the third person in the depth charts they're playing, and of course up top Twalman was still out injured uh, Kenny Mansali still away with Gambia so this was a very depleted team as far as injuries and call-ups go, where Salt Lake really was, wasn't missing anyone uh, of, of much importance. Uh, Espindola one of their forwards was out injured, but he's been out for a while, and he's, he hasn't even been a consistent starter on this team, so certainly important to note that. Uh, of course, on Wednesday, the Revs, I don't think, have much of an excuse at all for not coming away with a win in that match. Uh, this is a Revolution team that was on a seven-game 
a six-game unbeaten run, uh, only one tie on that streak. Of course, New York, during that same time, uh, had been struggling very badly, lost 4-1 to to D.C. United. They were without Juan Pablo Angel, uh, Josie Altador, of course, who was just traded away to uh, Villarreal in, in Spain. Uh, Claudio Reyna, their other designated player, was also out. These are these guys that have really contributed to New York's offense, and they've been completely lost without them. So that was certainly a game that was very well expected for the Revs to win. The Revs came out very slow again at home, and really it's been disappointing to see how poorly the Revs have played at home this year compared to on the road. It doesn't make uh, a lot of sense because this is a team that's done so well in the past on the road. Uh, but we do have some comments, actually, from that game. Uh, first, we'll start off with Steve Nichol and what he had to say about the Revolution's performance. And... Uh, a little unhappy with some of the refereeing decisions that went against them. Hi, that's that's pretty. It's a good way to put it. That's exactly what we did. We salvaged it. I'm not quite sure who was worse, us or the referee. You know, teams are teams already have and will continue to come here and and first and foremost defend and make it make it hard for us. Um, and obviously, we realise that. You know, when we go away, we want to do that as well. But the referee has to has to know that teams are going to be physical and they have to protect the players. You know, his decisions, nice way of putting it, his, you know, basically his decisions, we don't know which way it's gone. Nobody, nobody knows which way he's going to give fouls, if he's going to give fouls. So, you know, his, his decisions tonight on what was a foul and what wasn't a foul were, were pretty poor. When New York scored that goal, the play should have been stopped because of Mauricio being hurt? Well, you've still got to defend. You know, it's 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 a bit of an excuse. It wasn't an obvious one, but we still got to defend. You know, we, there's no getting away from it. We were poor tonight uh, in every aspect. Um, but as I said, you know, there's there's two things. You know, we're poor, but you know, our players have to be protected from from uh, from other teams. You know, referees giving yellow cards out for things in the second half to our players, which their players were doing in the first half and not getting them. So, you know, we have problems with stuff like that. Well, we were hoping that you know, we were hoping that maybe we could we could make them think differently. You know, obviously Raleigh's one of his big attributes is he's you know he's passing and holding the ball. So if we could maybe try and pull them in tighter and, and, and try and get some more more room wide, we were hoping to get the ball wider more often. You know, in the last probably the last ten minutes. And in the injury time, we got the ball wide more, and, and that period, and we did the whole game. And, and when we did that, we, we caused them problems. You know, we, we got the goal. We could have had another one, and that would really, you know, we would have stolen the points if we'd got the second one. It seems to be that week after week, you know, you keep saying you want to get that ball wide, get the ball wide. It doesn't seem to be catching. Well, teams are making it tough for us here. You know, they're, they're, they're making it tough in the middle of the park. You know, we want the guys in the middle to. to you know, pick up the, the scraps or, or, or win the challenges and get the ball wide and, and when it's congested. It's difficult to do that. We understand it's difficult. But at the same time, you know, we should be doing better with it. Um, and as I said, when we got the ball wide, we always looked as though we were going to cause them trouble. But, you know, if the referees, again, not, not making good decisions uh, as far as the physical play against us, then it's going to be hard for us. Were you surprised at all by how the Red Bulls came out after the last week? Absolutely not. It was, the, it was exactly what we spoke about. You know, they, they had they got a real bad beat in DC, so the only thing you knew was they were going to come out and, and be physical. And that's what we're saying. You know, they came out straight away and were physical. You know, Adam Crispin could have had a serious injury after two minutes when, when he was 
completely drilled from behind and uh, you know the referee chose not to do anything about it that set the tone for the rest of the for the rest of the game and yeah, that was a uh, revolution head coach steve nickel on uh, wednesday night's performance the one one draw with the red bulls in which uh, red bulls took a lead in the 37th minute on seth stamler's goal uh, of course as nickel mentioned castor was down injured on that play uh, so stamler who really would have been his mark on that play came in alone in the box and scored uh, against the revs there but still the revs a caster had been down for a little bit of time at that point, and the Revs probably should have been you know, ready to have someone fill in for that space right there, you know, come back and defend and played compact, at least while he was down hurt. Uh, but no one was there to do that. Uh, so there were some, certainly some questionable decisions by the referee, such as you know, why he didn't blow that play dead, especially considering in the second half, uh, Osco Echeverry on the Red Bulls went down. Similar situation, the Revs were attacking. This time, the referee took it upon himself to blow the play dead. So definitely some inconsistencies from this referee in his first game. Uh, but at the same time, certainly seen some worse games by referees. Uh, for his first match, I don't think uh, he cost the Revs the game by any means. Uh, just a little bit inconsistent there. And disappointing to see the Revs come out slow out of the gate. Um, as Nickel mentioned, the Revs did not underestimate the Red Bulls. Uh, but at the same time, if you look over the schedule, particularly at, at home where the Revs have had some very... You know, poor starts to the game against the DC team that had been really struggling coming in. You know, against the Red Bulls team that had been struggling coming in. Uh, against some some real teams that uh, should have been easy on paper, should have been easy wins for the Revs, didn't turn out to be. You do have to wonder if even you know subconsciously this is something that goes to the Revs' head going into this game, and maybe it's harder for them to get motivated for these teams thinking it's going to be you know an easier match. Of course, the Revs did come back in this one and score a late goal to tie it. Uh, Steve Ralston scored in the 79th minute off a nice layoff from. Kelly Dubé, uh, and actually a very nice cross from Jay Heaps, actually, from the left flank uh, to get it into Dubé before he laid it off for Ralston. We do have Ralston's comments uh, on that game uh, and, on his, and his goal, and actually on playing a little bit of time up at forward in this match, which was a bit of a surprise after Adam Chrisman went down injured, and as I mentioned, uh, Twelman and Manthali were unavailable. So we do have Ralston's comments on that match, so we can play now. It did. I felt, I felt, especially the first half. The second half it opened up a little bit. The first half I felt like they always had, you know, they had their four in the back and they had one guy sitting right in front of them at all times. Um, and the two outside guys would pitch in. So I would say they clogged up the middle of the field quite a bit and we didn't do a good enough job of getting the ball wide and, um, you know, kind of stretching them out a little bit. Uh, so we made it easy for them. We kind of just thumped it long and, you know, so they're good at it. They had some big guys in the back and, you know, we couldn't win second ball. So. Uh, second half, we did a little bit better job passing the ball. Well, once it seemed like once you got them stretched out, there was the success yeah. over the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, when we, when we started passing the ball, we started playing and moving a little bit. You know, we did all right. We created some chances. We got it wide and got some crosses in the box. But up until that point, you know, we just kind of played it long and you know, pretty direct through the middle of the field and right through the numbers. So we didn't work, work anything done. It seemed to be a physical game. You guys kind of get knocked from pillar to post. Yeah, you know, I kind of knew that was going to happen. You know, after you know, last week they had a tough game, and you knew they were going to come out and, and be aggressive and try and you know get stuck in. And you know, referee really didn't protect us too much early in the game. First tackle is a two-foot scissor from behind, doesn't give a yellow card. So, um, but then you know, just one of those games. It's, they're a physical team, and they're going to make it difficult for us to play. And you know, we got to do a better job of you know getting fouls and you know, going down and holding the ball when we can, too. It seems like another one of those games where the opposing team kind of comes in and dictates how the game's going to go. Yeah, a little bit, and that's what we talked about before the game, is that you know we need to be the aggressors. We wanted to be the ones to, to push the game, and uh, you know I don't know what our problem is at home where we come out flat and um, 
you know, I think we just kind of try and pass the ball a little too much instead of, you know, being physical and, you know, trying to put the ball behind them a little bit and putting them on their heels. Have you worked at all playing forward in training? Or no, I, I haven't played I haven't played forward since my sophomore year in college probably. And, uh, you know, I'm at, in practice every once in a while, you know, I get up, get up there and, you know, I was lucky the ball just kind of found my foot and uh, I was lucky enough to, to get it in. You had another chance too in the main United. I did. Yeah, and that's, you know, yeah, I, I, mean, I should have done better with it. I mean, he made a, made a decent save, but made an un- amazing save on the rebound on Kelly. Um, we could have stole three points out of here tonight, but, you know, something I'll be thinking about tonight is a headball. And that was Ralston again on, last night, on Wednesday night's performance there. Uh, and, of course, you mentioned Kelly Dubé, uh, who set him up on the goal and also had a chance late in the match uh, where Ralston got forward, got a nice header, really active up there up top in the, in the last tw- 20 or so minutes he was playing up top. Uh, interesting to see him up there. But he had a nice header there that John Conway managed to save. Uh, the rebound fell right to Dubé uh, with just inches from goal there at the post. Dubé uh, put it on frame, and somehow Conway got there to make a save. Uh, Dubé was, had a pretty good game there, particularly after, again, after Ralston made that switch up top. Maybe that's something that... Uh, we'll see more of if Mansali is out again and uh, Twelman's still out. But uh, actually, a little bit surprised we didn't see that last night at all when the Revs were were down there. But uh, certainly, certainly a good performance from Dubé as well, who's really come on strong in those players' absences. And we do have his comments again uh, from last night that that we can play as well. Just just kind of tough game because we played through balls. We're going out of out of the field because the field was too too wet today, you know. Mm-hmm. So after the rain, everything changed. Because we used to play in the field when, when it's not raining. Mm-hmm. And when it starts raining, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to play our game. So when you rebound on the wall, so Chuck, did, did Conley get a piece of it? Or did yeah, Conley accepted it. He made a good save. I mean, what do you think when you see that? You see that rebound like four or five yards, you get them on the ground, and it doesn't look like there's any chance he's going to get there. Yeah, but I don't know what happened, you know. Sometimes goalie make good saves, you know. There's one of them. One of, one of the of the time way a goalie makes up a great set. So I can't say nothing about it. You know, it's just it's, it's, it's just tough for us. You know, because it's just the opportunity for us to get a goal. Did you kind of read that play and think that was happening? No, like as a forward, you just have to make, wait for rebounds. You know, so I was waiting for a rebound and it came to me. So it's just tough because I didn't score it. You know, because I thought it was going to be a goal. So. I guess I have to practice more on the, on the shooting myself. Yeah. Let's talk about that knockdown you had for, for Ralston's opener. It seemed like that. I mean, that's not an easy ball because it's going away from you and you just kind of yeah. dulled it enough so he could latch on to it. I just had to make sure I get it to the guy. It was an easier opportunity to score, you know. So that time I was wide open. So that's why I knocked it back to him. I could have tried to shoot, but I was in a tight angle, you know. So yeah. it was better to just give it to someone who's open and get a goal. Are you surprised at how New York performed tonight, considering their record? You know, record. You know, sometimes team team come, they lose games. You know, it, 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 that doesn't mean they're a bad team. You know, it's, it happens in in in, in this in this league because most of the teams are good. You know, you can go, you can you can lose one game, five minutes, next game come win five. Minutes, so it's just a matter of consistency. You know, they played well today because they they knew they had to play well. You know, Again, that was uh, Revolution Ford, Kelly Dubé, on Wednesday night's game. Uh, we are going to take a quick break in just a second. Before we do, I think it's worth mentioning, uh, you heard him talk about the playing surface and you know, being a little bit wet there. Uh, worth mentioning, you've seen the disparity in the Revolution's record, certainly uh, on home and away, and how they play better away, which is you know, surprising for this team. But uh, also worth, worth noting, certainly, is that uh, on grass this year, the Revs have won their last six games in a row. 
six and one overall on grass uh, on the artificial surfaces, which is what they have uh, at Gillette Stadium, uh, of course in Salt Lake in New York. Uh, the Rams are two, three, and three, so a losing record, you know, on, on the playing surface that they have at their own home stadium. Uh, cer- certainly something worth thinking about. Uh, we are going to go into a quick break here, though, and hopefully we'll be back uh, with Greg Lawless uh, right after the break. Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. The National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, and now joined over the phone by uh, Revolution TV color commentator Greg Lawless. Greg, can you hear me? I can hear you, no problem. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, the Revs last night uh, coming away with a disappointing uh, two to one loss. Uh, obviously down several players in that match, uh, but were you surprised to see the Revs fall behind or, or give back an equalizer just three minutes later uh, after how well they've been this season when taking a lead? Um. A little yes and no. I mean, let's let's be honest. It's, this the goal they got was uh, somewhat against the run of play. It was early enough that it wasn't really hard to say that there was a run of, run of play at that point. It was the eighth minute when uh, Adam Christen put his goal in. But I felt like um, you know they they weren't really defending very well in the midfield. Javier Morales had his way all just all night long in the midfield, and uh, that that made a huge difference. Pat Phelan and um, Jeff Lorenowitz in the middle just gave him a little too much space and then when they didn't give him space they were fouling him um, they were ticky-tack fouls but that ended up just being a free kick and, uh, you know that ended up the second goal which I used on the own goal and the Revs as I mentioned missing uh, several players uh, the combination of a guy like Joseph and Castro, two guys who are pretty good at holding up the ball is, is that something that really had an effect on them with both of those guys out um yeah, I think that those those definitely had an effect. Uh, you know, having someone who can hold the ball, I think the other guys didn't do a very good job of really measuring their touch on passes and dribbling on the turf. I mean, that's a very fast turf out there in Salt Lake. Um, to be perfectly honest, it is a hellish turf. I mean, it's the worst surface in my life. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm 
definitely one of those players will be glad to never have to play there again. So, um, you know, ultimately, uh, if you have the guys who control it, then then that makes it easier. At the same time, I think they just really miss Shari Joseph's leadership in the middle and the ability that Shari Joseph has to play three in the middle, uh, in the center of the midfield. Um, I don't think the Revs are just proficient enough uh, because they just have a practice at it of playing four across the midfield. And you mentioned the turf in Salt Lake, but uh, the Revs in general on uh, turf this year uh, have a losing record where, as opposed to grass where they're 6-1. and one. Is there something about their style of play this year that's maybe different from the past years where that hasn't been the case that you know, makes it so they're not, you know, not really conducive to playing on the artificial surface? Well, I think it's possession. I mean, it's harder to possess the ball. Steve Nichol really wants the team to, to hold on to the ball as much as possible and to, to try and play some really nice soccer and try and play a possession game as opposed to any sort of long ball. Like you watch Toronto play, and, and they, they know exactly what they're doing with a long ball now and then. They whip it into Danny Dicchio or over the top to Jeff Cunningham. And the Revs really don't have the kind of strikers um, without Kenny Mansali out there. They don't have that striker that has the breakaway speed. Kelly Dubé just really doesn't have breakaway speed where you can play a ball over the top on the turf. So they're not a speed team um, other than the Aussie on the right flank. And when Connor Smith is out there, but unfortunately, obviously, people are starting to figure him out and how to stop him. Um, I thought Kyle Beckman did a fantastic job of stopping in the first half, and actually the Revolution switched Neofsi to the other side of the field to try and get him some space, and uh, Winger was not as successful at stopping him. Um, but uh, that's the only thing I can think about the turf, is just a question of speed and possession and the style that Steve Nichol wants to play. And Adam Christman, who's got a couple of goals, uh, over the past few weeks, and has certainly been playing pretty well, but is I believe still suffering from turf toe. Is that another thing that's you know kind of been affecting the Revs' play? Well, he has been scoring goals, maybe not 100 percent, and you know without the other two forwards either to to bring in there. Well, sure. I mean, all these things eventually affect the play. Um, you know, ultimately, when you look back on it, and you look back on the last let's say month, well, the last three or four games the Revs have played, this loss is coming. And you could see it from the, their performances of the last three or four weeks, where they weren't putting in great they were getting results, they were getting good contributions from everybody, they were getting lucky also. I mean, luck is a big thing. They got lucky against uh, New York when they made a, a tactical switch and put Ralston up top, and then they, yeah, if you ask me, Kelly Dubé miss hits the ball and it ends up at Ralston and puts it away. Um, you know, so I, I think regardless of what you think about what the different what the factor may be, the ultimate factor was they didn't play well. And they haven't played well in three or four weeks. Um, they haven't been able to put together a full 90 minutes of sustained performance in a month. And eventually that's going to catch up with you. And, and Real Salt Lake is a much improved team over Real Salt Lake of the past year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. They certainly have been uh, lucky. But at the same time, it's impressive that they've done as well as they have with all the absences that they've been missing over the past few months. Uh, sure. But how, how good do you think this team will be when everyone is healthy? Is this finally a team that you know, get back to MLS Cup? Maybe maybe too soon to make any predictions about the Cup final after what we've seen over the years, but do you think they have the quality to get there again? Um, you know, yeah, I think they do. I think uh, on paper they have the quality to get there again when you... When you but that's if Stan and Niasi and Kenny Sally and Kelly Dubay are playing the way they are now, in uh, September and October um, and November. I mean, that's a huge if because none of these guys have ever played a full season in MLS. 
traveling all over the country. Plus, um, the Revolution this year have extra games. They're going to play like 10 or 12 more games than they played last year when you include U.S. Open Cup, uh, Champions League, Superliga. So, and don't forget, you know, that's going to also include some travel. It's not as if they're just staying home to play these games. they got to go down to Trinidad, which is no easy trip um, for the Champions League when they play Joe Public. So they've got... This is a long slog, and if you ask me, that I think is going to affect them more than the, than the talent issue. Is, is that can these guys keep it up throughout the season? And we mentioned the uh, game on Saturday, but on Wednesday they played the uh, Red Bulls, who were certainly missing several key players of their own. Um, the Rebs had a surprise appearance you know, from Charlie Joseph coming back. Not his best game. Certainly the fight might have affected him there. But is this a team that uh, over the past few weeks we've seen uh, against D.C., uh, against the Red Bulls, get off to really slow starts at home. Do you think, uh, obviously they would never admit to it, but do you think that it's possible this team maybe uh, goes into these games uh, having maybe trouble getting motivated against teams that are coming in on really poor form? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's a motivation issue uh, for the Revolution because if there's one thing we know about a Steve Nickel coach team, they don't play based, they don't play on emotion. They're not fueled by emotion. Um, this is a, this is a system and a mindset Steve Nichols has inserted on this team that says you you go out and you do your job. You have a role. You have a responsibility. You're a professional, and that's it. You get it done. You don't worry about um, you know whether you're motivated or not. It's a, it's the system that doesn't rely on that. So I, I don't think that's a good excuse for the refs to use at all. Is there anything that you can think of to explain their their slow starts in some of these games at home? Um, not really. Maybe just a lack of motivation. Not motivation, a lack of uh, concentration in the beginning. It's it's hard to say. Um, you know, uh, everyone sort of thinks about the, the 12th man being the fans, but there's also the fact that when you're at home, you're not necessarily focused because you're not, you know, in concentration, as they say, like... Uh, there are plenty of teams overseas that they will go into a hotel together the night before a home game, too, to get everyone gets on the same page. Um, the Reds don't do that. They, they show up and they play their game. And, um, you know, they just start slowly on the road. But, but right now, I mean, I think right now what we're seeing with the Reds, regardless of what you might think the causes could be in their minds or anything like that, right now one of the biggest factors is that this is when they start to miss a guy like Taylor Coleman who they know is going to consistently get 10, 12, 15, could get 20, you never know, goals a year. And beyond that, though, he does a lot of hard work up top holding the ball for the revolution. And they're just not getting anybody to help the other guys out, to hold the ball and give the midfield a chance to push forward and get into the attack a little bit and allow the defensive guys a little bit more time. I think that Michael Parkhurst and the guys in back have been under a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's cer- certainly Twelman's absence has been a, a, a big factor in this, but uh, it's worth mentioning, too, that uh, at least as of Wednesday, it sounded like they were still hoping that Twelman might be back for the uh, Toronto game this weekend, so that would be a, a big boost for the Revs, especially, uh, as you mentioned earlier, with the big schedule coming up, the Superliga, and then, of course, the Champions League later on. Uh, but talking about the Superliga a bit, a bit uh, how far do you think the Revs can go in this tournament? I mean, we've seen the Revs in the past in the Champions Cup, uh, not do so well in the opening rounds there, but of course then in the off season, do you think it makes a huge difference now if the Revs are going to be, you know, in mid-season form going into this tournament? I think it makes a massive difference. I think you know the fact that they're in shape and they're 
together and they've worked out their system a little bit. Plus, they're going to get everybody back. I mean, Castro should be back. Chalman will be back. Obviously, Shari Joseph and Connell Smith are back. I think that, uh, you know, the biggest thing for them is going to just be, you know, keep their heads about them in terms of who they're playing. I mean, when you go up and you play against Big Bad Pachuca, uh, you know, you can't think of them as Big Bad Pachuca. It's just another team, and they have their flaws, and the revolution... This is where I think that non-emotion-based um, motivational factor for the revolution becomes huge because they don't have to worry about... They're not thinking about how, oh my gosh, we have to get up the Pachuca. They're just going to go out and do their job. I think on an international or continental level, that's a great way to be. allows them to just go out and perform. Um, you know, time will tell if that ends up being the case or not. But I have a feeling that the Revolution actually will do very well in the Super League. Have you been impressed by the performances of some of the rookies on this team and not even the, the rookies, guys like Igwe, who didn't play at all last season, Mansali, Niasi, uh, guys in their teens? Uh, this is a team that in the past uh, really haven't seen any players at all, on, under 21 even, uh, in the starting lineup. And now this year, in several games where they've had three guys who are you know, 19 or younger even uh, playing for this team. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm surprised because I think that this is a Steve Nichol sort of trademark. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're talking about Will Thompson, who was what, 21 or 22 when he came in. I mean, you're basically talking about guys who are new to the professional game. Um, Mansali and Niasi obviously have a little bit different history than some of the other young guys, um, having played under 20s, having uh, come up through the club youth systems in Gambia, which are a little, a little more serious. Um, in terms of their, uh, how do you say it, uh, life training, I guess, than, uh, than a club team in the United States, than a youth club team, which is more about soccer. Um, so I think that what Steve Nichols does really well is to put a young guy in there and say, this is what I expect from you. This is all I want you to do. That doesn't mean the kid always does. I mean, he makes a lot of tactical mistakes and, and you know, some poor decisions on what to do with the ball. But at the same time, you know, you get some guys out there that, like in the Austin and Mensali, and this is, I think, why Mensali will be a really good. I think it'd be very good when they get Mensali back uh, a couple of weeks. And they've been missing something without him out there. Um, so I think what Steve Nichols is just so good at is putting his guys out there and saying, this is what I expect of you. This is what you're supposed to do. Now do it. And most of the young guys, they're scared enough of Nickel and Mariner and Charlie Joseph and Ralston that they're going to just do what they're supposed to do. And looking forward to these all these competitions coming up, of course, the Open Cup, uh, U.S. Open Cup starting on July 1st, and then uh, Super League coming up in July, CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, I, I, no one on the team was ever going to admit that you know, maybe one's more important than another, but if, if you're looking at these tournaments, uh, what, what is the most important to this organization to win? Of all the tournaments? Yeah. Uh, are we throwing out MLS? <laughs> well, of course, they know the Cup has been their number one priority, but the Super League, there's obviously a big prize at the end, uh, the, the million-dollar prize or $5 million, whatever whatever that uh, prize is. And then, of course, their Champions League. Uh, when that, you can go to the World Club Championship. So there's some you know big things on offer if the Revs have success in these competitions. Um, I, think, I think most likely... They'd, they'd love to win Superliga. Um, uh, I just feel like there's a there's something about beating the Mexicans that is always really intriguing and, and, and exciting. 
uh, because they, especially at the club level and even on the national team level, um, they have a tendency to, uh, you know, look down on U.S. soccer and certainly to look down on MLS. Um, so that would be my thought. Um, I think that they're going to, they would love to, uh, you know, I think they'd love to get Super League. Just to, you know what I mean? Just yeah. Beat the Mexicans, you know? <laughs> yes. So, and I think the Mexicans enjoy coming up to Super League for the exact same reasons. Beating the U.S. teams for that very reason, so they can continue to say, look, MLS is terrible. So yeah. It goes both ways. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and they should certainly have some big games uh, at Gillette Stadium, too, with uh, teams like Pachuca coming into town and playing you know, right in Foxborough. So that that certainly makes it interesting there. Uh, before I let you go, could you talk a little about, uh, you know, you, everyone knows that you do the color commentary for the Revs on uh, the Revolution broadcast, but you, know, you also do a lot of writing for places like Gold.com. Could you talk a little about uh, where people can find your writing? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Gold.com. I've got, uh, also have a column on SI.com, and... Uh don't forget to check out Extra Time. Extra Time, which is not a dot. Extra Time, which is uh, my weekly show on MLSNet.com with Shep Messing talking about MLS. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, and keep up the great work. Thanks for having me, Sean. Again, that was uh, Greg Lawless, who, as you mentioned, the Revolution Color Commentary commentator on the uh, Revolution TV broadcast, and then uh, you can check out his writing at Goal.com. Of course, the uh, MLS Extra Time program right there at MLSNet.com. Uh, certainly, definitely something to check out as well for an MLS fan. Uh, we are going to take another break here, though, and then we'll be back with uh, Michael Jones, the publisher of Soccer New England. Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, now joined over the phone by Michael Jones, publisher of Soccer New England. Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you, Sean. How are you? Great. How are you? Very 
Very good, thanks. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Good pleasure. Uh, first of all, the U.S. national team just coming off a, a nine to nothing uh, aggregate victory over Barbados to advance uh, in World Cup qualifying. Not not too surprising there that the U.S. coming out with a victory. Maybe a little bit more goals than we expected on um, the first leg there. Uh, but is there anything really that U.S. can take away from from a game like this against you know Mineral of Concacaf, a team that they're expected to beat? Yeah, I actually do. I think so. You're speaking to an Englishman, Sean, an Englishman who spent most of the last two weeks watching the Euros, and I can trace England's failure to qualify for those Euros back to a, a nil-nil draw against Macedonia at Wembley. And the, the thing about these minnow teams, these, these tiny teams, they still have to be beaten. And, and I think what, what the USA did, particularly in that first leg, was they sent a message out there to the rest of CONCACAF and to everybody who might want to come and take their, their mantle away, if you will, as, as the kings of CONCACAF, that, that they mean business. And it's, it's commendable that they did that, because Costa Rica didn't. They, they tied 2-2, I believe, against, uh, who was it, Grenada, I believe. Yep. Tobago lost their first leg game. And in, in these home-and-home home games, it's not that big of a deal. You lose at home or you lose away and you, you can still you know, run up the score at home and, and get through. Where these little hiccups, bump-in-the-road type games come back and really haunt you is in group play. And you're not really up against the likes of Bermuda or Barbados in group play. You're up against Mexico, Costa Rica, Canada, Guatemala, those kinds of things. If they go to Grenada and win 8-0 and the USA only draws 0-0, that comes back to bite you, just as it came back to bite England in the Euros. And uh, that's why I think it's really important that you sort of go out there and you send messages. And, and particularly it's true with teams that, that pack it in. You see this a lot on the women's side, where, where the US women's national team is so dominant in the world that when they play someone, much of what they're trying to do for most of a game is break down a rock solid pack penalty box, you know? And and the more practice you get in doing that, the better. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's good that the US was able to go out there and, and run the score up a little bit and send a message and, and just particularly for a team that's, that's struggled to score to be honest with you. They haven't scored a lot of goals in the last few games and it's good to get a get a few of them in, even if it's against a small team like Barbados. And worth noting too, of course, you mentioned the uh Renata result against Costa Rica. Uh, Connor Smith in Bermuda, his side went, went to Trinidad and Tobago, got a, uh, actually a win there, playing the second leg tonight, so we'll see how that goes, but, uh, not as much disparity between those two teams, but again, that was, uh, Trinidad and Tobago team that's certainly the heavy favorites going into that matchup, uh, so a anything certainly can happen in these. Yeah, it can happen. I mean, if you want my if I were to put money on it, I'd, I'd bet that Trinidad and Tobago will get through quite comfortably. They'll probably win this game two or three nil, and they'll win. But the point is that the, the Bermuda put a put a, a scare up them, and that's important. But as I say, in these home and home series, it doesn't really hurt that much. You, over two legs, you can usually beat one team. Where it really kills you is in that group play situation where you think you're going to win, you end up getting a nil nil draw. And while that doesn't necessarily hurt you against that particular team that you drew against, every other team in the group went there and beat them, and then you suddenly find yourself in fourth place in, in the hex uh, when you should have been third, and now you're playing off against, who is it, a, a South American team or an Asian team for the fourth and final spot. So the U.S. has got to go out there and win these games. And much as it may seem a little ridiculous when the score is 9-0, uh, it doesn't always end up 9-0. Sometimes it ends up 0-0 and you can bat, you know, that batter the goal for, for, for 90 minutes and not get one in 
And I've seen that happen dozens of times in games that you thought the team was going to win and they hit the post four times and the goalkeeper had the blinder and all of a sudden it's nil-nil at 90 minutes and that, that could cost you down the road as England sitting at home on, on their couches watching the Euros in a test. And of course going into the next, uh, the semi-final round, U.S. up against Guatemala, uh, the winner of the Bermuda Trinidad and Tobago matchup and then looks like Cuba, I believe, in the, as the fourth spot. So that's certainly not going to be uh, teams that are as easy as Barbados, teams that they should be expected to beat. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, these are teams that can get an upset. So it should be interesting to see as what the U- how the U.S. does going forward. Uh, as you mentioned, the U.S. had been struggling to score. They played some very big teams. So it was good to see them uh, get, get those results there. Uh, but what, what do you think of this U.S. team this year? Is this a team that uh, can do what they did the last, the last World Cup qualifying and you know, qualify pretty comfortably at the top of the uh, CONCACAF group? I, I, whether they'll be top or whether they'll be second or third, I, I, I'm less worried about. I think they can qualify, whether it's them and Mexico or Mexico and them. I think the interesting thing about CONCACAF in the next few years is going to be the emergence of Canada. They're going to come on, I think, it's going to be a fairly decent side. That probably is more of a worry to Costa Rica than it is to the USA, because Costa Rica has traditionally occupied that third place in the CONCACAF ranking. So, um, I think they'll qualify. I don't think that's a problem. The real problem is, and I think Bob Bradley started to address it with all these friends they've been playing, what do you do when you get there? You know, you, you know that you're not going to get drawn into a group with another CONCACAF thing. It just doesn't happen. It's not the way the seasons work. You know you're going to get drawn into a group with at least two European teams. And then your third team in that group is either going to be from Asia or Africa. So that really becomes a huge question. You can't constantly go into these World Cups and rely on the huge, huge upsets like the one against Portugal in 2002. You've ultimately got to go into these games confident that you can beat the Poles or you can beat the Swedes or you can beat the Spaniards if they push up the shelf. And that becomes a big challenge. And I think Bob Bradley has, has done exactly the right thing in the last 12 months of going out there and going to Europe, playing some tough friendlies. And frankly, I don't care that they lost to three or they lost two in, in tied one. That, that's what it's about. You've got to go there and, and take your knocks on the road in these international friendlies so that when the World Cup does come around, you're ready for it. Uh, as far as the, the team itself, I, I still worry that they're over-reliant on, on Landon Donovan. Landon's been a fine player and I've got a lot of respect for him. But um, I wish this country was producing more Landon Donovan rather than constantly relying on the one we have. Yeah. And um, every time you pull him out of the lineup for whatever reason, injury, suspension or whatever, and these things do happen at international level, um, I think the team really struggles to make any offense. And that, that's still something they need to address. Tim Dempsey's an enigma. He's a lovely, talented player. We all know how good he is from our time watching him with the Reds. But I still don't think they really know what to do with him. He's not an out-and-out striker, and I'm not sure he's, um, they really know what to do with him, although it's hard to leave him off the team. He's never found a replacement for, um, for Brian McBride up top, and, and that still continues to be my worry. I think the back line's pretty solid, um, and with DeMarcus Beasley coming back, that's, that's a good sort of addition on the left side. But um, time will tell. We've got to, we've got to still try and develop one or two new players. Maybe Josie Alcador becomes that player. Maybe Freddie Edu becomes something special. But uh, so far, they've not delivered. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you on that. I think we saw, him, especially in those friendlies over in Europe against England and Spain with Donovan out, uh, the offense really struggled. Then against Argentina, uh, the number one ranked team in the world at the moment, uh, U.S. coming away with a 0-0 draw. Uh, but really, the offense showed a lot better. They didn't score, uh, but looked a lot more dangerous in that game than the other games. So, that, that is something to look for. And I think Freddie Adu, in, in his re- time recently, 
has certainly shown some flashes of that, uh, of being able to create these chances. He hasn't, I think I'd actually like to see him play more than maybe he has uh, under Bob Rowley in some of these games. Uh, certainly played a lot today and made a couple of very nice passes there to set up Eddie Lewis's goal. Uh, not, again, not the best defense in the world in Barbados, but uh, I think he's the guy that we want to see more of uh, on the national team. I think so. I think the thing about Freddie is that he needs to sort out his club situation. Everything looked great when he went to Benfica last, last summer. Uh, they've had a couple of coaching changes in, in, the, in the interim, which is not uncommon in Europe and certainly not in Portugal. And um, now who knows where he fits into the new coaches' plans and what have you. So he's got the Olympics coming up and the Europeans tend to sort of take a fairly dim view of players sort of taking pre-season off to play in the Olympics. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into things. I'm really excited, frankly, maybe even more excited uh, than with do about the emergence of Josie Alcador. I think that could be a very, very big development for the U.S. national team. And uh, depending on how well he does in Spain, that, that could be huge. There's still got to be... Uh, Eddie Johnson has just never been that player. There's got to be, at some point, a replacement for Brian McBride. Um, and, and maybe Josie's that player. I hope so. Freddie, certainly I think he could fit in, and if he could become a sort of similar playmaker to the kind of player we have in Landon Donovan already, then that gives us some additional strength, and that will be very useful to have. So I, I'm, I'm rooting for him, but I, I wish he would sort of get regular playing time in Europe and really become a, a key part of, if not Benfica, then, then move on and find a team that does want him and wants to use him. So. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. He's looked good, he looked good uh, when he has played for Benfica, but certainly hasn't played enough. Uh, at the same time, though, with, with Bob Rowley playing guys like Josh Wolf, giving them the chance and they don't even have a team, uh, you wonder why maybe a guy like a dude hasn't seen more time when he certainly seems like a player with more likely to have a future on this national team than you know a Josh Wolf. But to change the subject up a bit, uh, look more at the, the Revs now. Uh, this is a New England team that has a lot of youth uh, themselves, a, a lot of guys developing, uh, who didn't play at all last year, some 18, 19-year-olds who have looked really, really good this year. Have you been surprised at all to see you know, the emergence of you know, really, three 18-year-olds who are three 19-year-olds who are legitimate starters on this team. Who yeah, you, know, yeah, you can you can count me surprised. There's no question about it. And, and enormous credit goes to the, to the coaching staff. I have to say, I was one of those ones that basically was predicting at the beginning of this year that the revolution was going to finally run out of steam. Uh, the loss, I think, of uh, Dempsey last year and Noonan this year really had me thinking that the Reds were going to uh, run out and just get get found out, so to speak. Um, and God bless them. They found a couple of terrific players and uh, really have made an impact. And, and players last year who, who we kind of knew about but weren't counting on to score all the goals, people like Adam Christman, who got another one yesterday, um, we really weren't expecting them necessarily to come in. Now, I still think they're punching above their weight. I'll be honest with you. I think the reason the Reds are doing so well to some degree, obviously they have had some very, very good results, no question about it. They lost a couple of points in the last couple of games, or five points in the last two games. But they are playing well. But the other factor that plays into this is that a lot of the other teams that were expecting to challenge them haven't really delivered. You had you know, DC, everyone at the start of the season saying DC was going to be a powerhouse, and they got off to a very, very slow start. They seem to be getting better now. But And then Chicago, which handed New England their, their lunch for them a couple of times earlier in the season, and they've fallen off a little in the last few weeks. Um, and Kansas City, I thought when I saw Kansas City earlier in the season, I thought they were going to be terrific. And they've really fallen off. New York, not much to, to write home about. So they've got a lot, you know, a lot going for them in as much as, you know, we're midway through the season almost and they're, they're top of the Eastern Conference. But you can't ask for more than that. Um, and Taylor Twelman has barely played. So there's a, there's a good chance for Taylor Twelman when he gets back on fitness 
to, to take them over the hump. But the, the question with New England, they're always going to be a competitive side. They're well coached. They've got enough talent and enough veteran talent to sort of get them through the, the regular season into the postseason. The real challenge for the Reds is sort of getting up to that next level and how do they sort of get out of that Buffalo Bills mentality of always getting to the big show and never winning. I think if they could get that piano off their back, they'd be a, a real force in this league for the years to come. And I mentioned this earlier in the show, but uh, the Revs now, uh, at home, they've been a worse team than on the road. Uh, and meanwhile, on turf, they've got a losing record of 2-3-3. Three, and three. Uh, They've won their last six games on grass, played a lot better in those games, I'd say. Uh, but is that a problem for the Revs that their home field is turf and maybe doesn't really fit their style of play? I mean, in the past, they've been a very good home team, but this year that hasn't been the case. You could be onto something, sure. I mean, I, I think you're going to find that there's quite a lot of turf around. They played on turf last night and lost, of course. Uh, New York is cursed, but both those two situations will change within the next 12 months. Uh, I think uh, Salt Lake will have their, their new setting before the end of this year, and uh, the, the Metro Stars, or the Metro Stars, Red Bulls, I should say, will have their uh, setting within a year. And then the Reds and Toronto will be the only two teams on turf, I believe. And, yeah, I think you might be onto something. The Reds play a nice sort of passing game. Um, I saw a couple of situations last night when I was sort of catching the game in glimpses. Um, where the ball sort of span away and you thought they might catch it, but they didn't because it sort of ran off into the into the sideline before they even had a chance to sort of realise yeah, the bounce. And there is that there is that danger. I think as time goes on, you know, the Revs have this habit of putting on a big international friendly at least once a year, and it'd be nice if they could just sort of leave those uh, trays of grass in for a few weeks and let, yep. a few, let a few of those games run on regular grass. Of course, when the Patriots come back in in August, of course, they're going to go back to the regular uh, Astro turf. And who knows, down the road, there may be a soccer-specific stadium in their future, although I'm very skeptical about that. But you could be onto something. I think turf is, is dying a death in this league. And certainly once uh, the Red Bulls and uh, Salt Lake get off of it, um, it'll become rare to see teams on turf. And then... The question then becomes, you know, the Revs would, uh, you would think, have a huge advantage playing on it week after week when a, when a visiting team is playing on it for perhaps only the second time that season. And you would think that might be an advantage for the Revs, but you could be under something with the way the Revs play, the kind of passing game they play, um, keeping it on the ground and, and um, making those sort of short triangles. Well, and they, they rarely practice on it, too. I know uh, New York practices on turf all the time. Uh, the Revs... Uh, sometimes they practice the day before a game, but even then, uh, that doesn't even always happen. So I, I, I know it's great not to practice on turf because uh, there is that stigma that turf can cause you know, injuries, and maybe that's a problem that the Rebels have had with injuries, but uh, that could play a role as well. Yeah, you could be right. You could be absolutely right. So I, my, I, I think the stuff is better than it used to be, and certainly what you see in, in Gillette Stadium in Toronto is much, much better than what you see at Rail Salt Lake. But Ultimately, I think this league needs to be played on grass. It's a summer league. That's one of the great advantages of being a summer league is that you can play on grass, and there's no reason why they should have it. But uh, it, it's still there. I think with the Reds in particular, because they share the stadium with the Patriots, it's, it's something that the coaches and I either have to get used to or just play for that soccer Well, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. And, uh, quickly, what do you think about uh, these tournaments coming up? We've seen in the past where D.C. has uh, played a lot of games and then run out of steam after playing so well. Is that, is that a threat to the Revs this year with so many competitions over the summer? It could be. I think the thing about D.C. and Houston particularly is they always play these, seasons, these pre-season tournaments. I mean, the CONCACAF uh, Champions League uh, or the Champions Cup was always a pre-season event, and they would come into the season almost tired before they started. 
Last year, teams that played in Superliga. Who played in Superliga last year? DC. Yep, Los Angeles. Uh, um, the Galaxy was kind of an odd situation with the second circus that came in. And DC in particular, they played very well in Superliga and still went on and won the supporters' shield. They didn't do well in the playoffs. But I think, I'm, I'm all for it. I think these, these tournaments are a big part of what's going to make soccer take off in this country, particularly among the immigrant population. And I think New England has got a reputation for not taking these tournaments as seriously as they need to. So it's good to see. Uh, it does add fixture congestion. And I think ultimately what I'd like to see with this league generally is less uh, emphasis on regular season games. They should have a, you know, a standard schedule. If there's 14 teams in the league, play everyone home and away, and that's it. That's fine. And then you make up the rest of the games. If it's determined that you need to play 20 games to make a profit in this business, and put on at least one international friendly or whatever, whatever their business model is, then let's make those 20 games, 14 regular season games and three Super League games, uh, an Open Cup game and two CONCACAF Champions League games. That would be a good little way to sort of build a, a business model. Then if you don't make the playoffs or if you don't make the Super League, you lose out by having fewer games in those clubs. That, that encourages clubs to, to take the, the standings more seriously and say, well, if you don't make the playoffs, then you are going to lose games and that's going to cost you in the bottom line kind of thing. So, longer term, I think, fewer league games and these other extra league games, if you will, the Super League, the Champions League, become a very, very important part of your business model. Uh, but this year, you could have a point. They're playing a lot of league games. They've, um, they've got all this turf that they play on all the time. They've got a relatively small squad anyway. And they've got a couple of injuries to key players, so it could come back to bite. We do have just uh, about a minute left here, so could you... Tell us a little bit about uh, Soccer New England and you know, what we have planned for the future for that. Well, we've got a couple of things going on. We've got a, uh, a Soccer New England Hall of Fame that we're launching. We're going to invite people. We're going to sort of roll this out in the next month or so. We're going to invite people to sort of nominate people for a, uh, a, a Wikipedia, if you will, a Wikimedia, for want of a better term, where people can actually sort of do a little encyclopedia entry of uh, someone they want to nominate for a Hall of Fame, which is very neat. Uh, we just launched a, a bulletin board where people who are sort of looking for things like pickup games and even soccer jobs and stuff like that, they can actually post those listings online. So we're really excited about the way that's going. The traffic's going up all the time and the advertising revenue is getting pretty much close to where it used to be when we were print magazines. It's a very, very big deal for us. Uh, so from a business point of view, it's going very well. From a, from a traffic and a readership point of view, it's going very well. And uh, of course, there's always no shortage of stuff to write about. There's so much stuff going on in the world in the soccer world. It's, uh, you never have a shortage of things to write about. Well, well, thanks a lot for joining us today. And again, uh, make sure to check out SoccerNewEngland.com. Uh, we will be back on uh, Revolution Recap uh, next week. And again, check out RevolutionRecap.com for the archive. Fifty years of service to the Blackstone Valley, this is WNRI Woonsocket.